You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, currently of Locked On, formerly of Scout 24-7, Indians Baseball Insider, and all the way back to Indians Prospect Insider. I was bouncing around uh, and ended up at Indians Prospect Insider today. It was very sad to see that uh, someone has bought that website, and it's now just a junk website, uh, you know, for a place that was my start. Uh, I found that very kind of sad to stumble upon that, but... uh, yeah, that's where I got started. Uh, Cleveland fan, which doesn't exist anymore, was one of those places. Uh, I had a big article series uh, with my real-life friend, Andrew Clayman, who uh, went on to write for Waiting for Next Year, and I had some stuff appear there as well. Uh, it's been a fun time bouncing around the blogs through the years. I already previewed Brad Keller for the matchup today, uh, if you listen to Monday's show. And the upcoming series is against the Detroit Tigers. We will talk about Jose Arenia, but Tarek Skubal, you've seen him pitch already. It's the one game the Indians offense looked uh, decent in. And Julio Tehran, uh, you saw as well. So the Tiger series is not as much to preview by now. It's not necessarily that, you know, oh, what's already happened is going to happen again. But you know those pitchers, you know that team. We've had some exposure there. We already talked about Keller. Uh, Up next, we have the White Sox and the Reds. We will definitely do some previews as we get closer to those series. So what are we going to do for today's show? Well, outside of talking about Jose Rania, we will dive back into some of the history. I went and looked at the uh, what happened in baseball on this day. Not a whole lot for the Indians, honestly. So instead, we're going to go back to a series that I was working on this offseason and never finished. We're going to talk uh, greatest and worst picks in terms of draft value for the Indians through each round. Uh, I had done the first four rounds, and that was, you know, Dennis Eckersley is in the third. The fourth is Shane Bieber. Uh, First round, you know, it's not that hard for me to pull up the data in terms of, like, you know, the most productive pick in each round. Remember, the worst second-round pick was Dylan Howard because he's the only one I could ever find who didn't at least make it up to A-ball. Uh, second round, Albert Bell. That's right, because at one point in time, I thought Kipnis would replace him. And the first round, it's Manny Ramirez or CC Sabathia. Those two blow everyone else out of the water uh, in terms of career war at this point in time. I mean, comparison point on those two, uh, three and four is Swindell and Francisco Lindor. You add them together, they're still about six to seven runs short of Sabathia and Ramirez. And Ramirez is about seven up on Sabathia. And that's the other kind of not-so-fun thing when you go through this list is of the top 10 players, at least three were people who never really played for the Indians, people who got away or didn't get their opportunities. I know I kind of uh, made a negative statement about Drew Pomeranz uh, last night in terms of his draft position to overall value, but he's still ninth all-time war of any Indians first-round pick. That's correct. Uh, 11th is Lonnie Chisenhall. So, yeah, it's it's been a disaster. And, uh, you know, you, you can keep going down. Calvin Murray, who they failed to sign, uh, went to 
Texas to play baseball and became another high pick. He was the 11th overall pick in the 89 draft. They failed to sign him. I always like to tell this story, so if you're listening to the podcast, you've probably heard this before. But uh, they failed to sign their first-round pick, 11th overall. By the way, that is Tyler Murray's uncle, Calvin Murray. I might have said Murphy. I meant to say Murray. But he goes to Texas, has a great career, goes to, I believe, and gets drafted by Texas out of college. Uh, but that's, you know, it's not the main thrust of the story here. So they fail to sign their first rounder. They give up their second rounder to sign Jesse Orozco. Uh, and that 89 draft is the greatest in franchise history. Uh, that is, er, nope, that is not the greatest one in franchise history. I do not believe now that I say that. That's the, uh, or no, it is. That's right. 89 is when Albert Bell debuts, but he was not drafted in 89. Um, the 89 draft, I believe, is the Jim Tomey, Brian Giles uh, draft that is far and away the greatest in team history. Just double-checking now. Yeah, 1989 draft for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I've talked about that many times on the show. Uh, before we dive into that you know, greatest fifth-rounder ever discussion, let's do some old friend alerts. Kai Tom is getting in there with Oakland. He's appeared in four games so far. Not great numbers. Oakland in general doesn't have great numbers, but still nice to see him out there uh, getting some opportunities and playing. Kind of missed on, I just assumed Bo Taylor would clear waivers. I was kind of shocked when the Reds claimed him. So the Indians are down that backup catcher. I did not foresee that coming. I'm not sure anyone else did, but yeah, the the Indians are down a catcher and... Uh, you know, we could see them add someone for depth in terms of, I mean, you still have uh, Levernway is probably the next guy up. He's your alt site guy. Just looking at roster resources quick. Gavin Collins is more of a utility type. Mike Rivera, such an Indians classic pick. Great defense, but the guy couldn't hit at Florida. Uh, handled, you know, lots of top end pitching there. And then your next kind of listing in there, it's like Bo Naylor, Brian Levastida, Yanner Yiner Diaz. It, it quickly kind of falls off. Catcher, there just aren't a lot of catchers in the system. So that is something we could see them. You know, maybe they go at some point and look if Cameron Rupp is available with his familiarity in system. Uh, as I was pulling things up, I realized it's not Brad uh, Keller going tomorrow. It's going to be Jake Junis instead. So let's take a second, talk some Jake Junis, then we will talk some Jose Arenia, then we will, after that, dive into the uh, greatest fifth round and worst fifth round picks in Cleveland Indians franchise history. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor that helps keep this show going. Listen, you know I love Bilt Bar. Uh, do I even have to really go into it? Right now over at Bilt Bar, uh, if you place an order flavors may vary but you get three free packets of the built bar go with any purchase uh they sent us a trial of built bar go back in the fall very coconutty if you can get coconut very minty if you get the mint those are the only two i tried uh they were good it's not necessarily my bag but i was still okay with it it's like you know it's almost like uh, if you get like peanut butter in a container and you squeeze it up and it comes out the top but more of like a, a natural sugars taste with that over right now on the main site they don't have any specialty bars they're uh that you know they, i've talked about the fact that 
I finally tried my Built Bar broth. It tasted like chicken broth. Not a huge surprise. My Built Bar boost, I was doing, I did root beer. Uh, that was pretty solid. I haven't tried the bites yet, but the, the plain and simple story here is it's all good. Everything you're going to get. I love the fact that we have internal debates in the group chat about what flavor is the best. That just shows that you probably don't want to find out from me what the best flavor is. You want to get that mixed box, try for yourself. And remember, when you go to BuiltBar.com, you want to use the promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off. Why wouldn't you want to save money? I mean, like, it's one of the best deals you can find anywhere on a fantastic product, a product I use daily. I had uh, some cookie dough today. That was my lunch, was a cookie dough and then the caramel brownie. I had two of those for lunch, and that's what got me through the day. So head to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code Locked On. And while I got you, remember to check out the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski's got you covered. All the breaking news, everything that is happening in the world of sports. Go check it out for yourself. So let's talk some Jake Junis. Should we... Uh, let's baseball some on him first. I have his fan graphs to go into things, but he's one of those guys... Where there's enough on him that we can talk about some of the, you know, pitch mix and all that fun stuff when it comes to someone like Jake Junis. If it'll load. So over on the fan graph side of things, let's just talk about the splits. And if he is a pitcher that is heavy for when it comes to such things. You know, we talked about that should have been an advantage against Danny Duffy. It did not. Uh, Junis, about 500 innings, very even split uh, innings, 241 versus lefties, 237 versus righties. Overall, let's go to those advanced numbers. I'm never a big fan of just the standard. Uh, Walks lefties a little more, strikes out righties a little more. So, I mean, I guess it should not be a surprise that lefties are a little bit better against him, that, you know, he's a right-handed pitcher, so he's better getting out right-handed hitters. The data in general, uh, looking at those, is not great. Very, very borderline starter. Uh, Baseball savant, wow, they already have 2021 percentiles up. It's not uh, the most useful thing. So his 2020 percentiles are uh, bad, like dark blues, His walk percentage was 88%. That was great. The next highest percentile is hard hit percentile at 51. That's a white. That's purely average. Third best, I believe, is barrel percentage at 36%. This was a guy who pitched pretty poorly in 2020. So if you go back to 2019, if you want to throw out the 2020 season, um, again, doesn't walk anyone. But then his highest percentile is a 37% with K rate. And then 29, or no, I'm sorry, 40th percentile curve spin, then that K rate at 37, then fastball velocity at 29th. He has been not good. Like, there's no other way around the data that shows a guy that is, they're not getting a whole lot out of. Throws the four seam fastball, a cutter, a slider, and that's pretty much it. This must be just based on this year's data. Also, a sinker uh, is getting picked up in his data. I, I love that they, you know, there's so much comp data in 2021 popping up. And I just want to be like, no, let's let's not use someone who's had a start, the data that shows. Because if we do that, he looks like a much different pitcher because that one data start uh, 
everything went well for him. I know I said they should beat Danny Duffy, but they really should win this one. This is a game that they should be winning. This is not one of those games that uh, you want to, you expect them to struggle. Again, Jake Junis, not a great pitcher. He is a solid depth guy, but for instance, he would not be, he wouldn't be the sixth starter on the Cleveland Indians. He may not be the seventh starter, if we're honest, on the Indians. He's probably somewhere more along the lines of the eighth or ninth. I don't even know if he would have made the roster. So he is someone you should win. He is someone you should beat. Hopping over to our other pitcher of note, Jose Urenia, who, you know, was a prospect type, uh, just never really came together, if we're being completely honest. Over his career, again, a pretty even split, lefties versus righties. Scroll down again to the advanced stuff. Uh, can't strike out lefties at all. Under five strikeouts per nine. Strikeouts versus righties, a little over seven. Walk rates stays around three for both. Uh, ooh, FIP of a 551 versus left-handers, 405. So very pronounced. You want to get as many lefties in in that matchup as possible. He really struggles against them. And that's part of the reason when you just, if I went to his season stats, you know, Irenia was let go by Miami, had a lot of opportunities, and ended up in Detroit. Just, again, a a borderline arm, if we are being, you know, nice. It's one of those situations where we all get a little bit spoiled as Indians fans, that we forget what it was like. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the picture they traded for would have been back like 2012 or 13 just because they needed some more depth in AAA and they were struggling to do that. I, it might be hard to believe for some, but it's like when they made the trade for trading Shinchu Chu to the Reds to add Bauer, like that was a big deal. They needed pitching badly at the time. Uh, they had kind of struggled to develop pitching after the Sabathia Lee high points and that whole team, it's like, you know, Kluber came over in the Westbrook, Westbrook trade, took him a bit of time. Carrasco was in the Lee trade, but it was another one we've talked about where, like, people wanted to cut him because he kept throwing at people. Uh, it took him a while to kind of figure out who they had and how good what they had was. That was kind of the fun of it when you get right down to it for me, that those great teams that went as deep as they did in the playoffs were based and, you know, even the early rise of the Indians um, under Francona were these pitchers that were not, I mean, Bauer was the only big name, and he had pretty much worn his welcome out. Like, that is how he ended up being part of that trade. The talk was maybe Patrick Corbin instead of him. It turns out you couldn't go wrong either way. Uh, just the Diamondbacks could go very wrong. But it, it's... It is interesting to think back to those days when there was no depth, and that's what you're kind of seeing with these Detroit and Kansas City teams where they're relying on guys who should probably be depth arms because that's what they have. Detroit, it's worse in my opinion because Detroit has such interesting arms. Uh, I love the, you know, I was the driving the Casey Myers bandwagon. Uh, Tarek Skubal, I was extremely high on from his Seattle University days. Matt Manning is going to be ready sooner rather than later. 
I really liked was it Adam Wolf from Louisville. I'm not going to give up on Fiedo yet. They've drafted a lot of really interesting arms. You know, it, there are points where I wonder about the overall developmental cycle because that has been an issue in Detroit because they didn't have to develop anyone for a long time. Any prospect of note and or value was traded to supplement their core under you know Illich Sr. So there was no development, and there was not really an eye towards development in that system. And no one really developed for them. If I mean, go check them out right now. Their entire lineup on this team that is in the midst of a rebuild does not have one homegrown piece. Not one for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, that's, you know, it's kind of crazy. Pitching-wise, Mize and Scooble, and then they do have some, some players in the bullpen, but that's they've had a lot of chances at high picks. They had a lot of talent they traded away, and they have almost nothing to show for their trades. That's that's kind of the, if you're a Tigers fan, it has to be the worst part. Like You see the White Sox who got rich on those type of trades and kind of built their core, and the Tigers, they did not. So we'll see what happens, but... Uh, yeah, if this ends up matching up the way it's projecting over at Roster Resource, at least, it's like Bieber versus Junis. I mean, you have to win that matchup. Another off day Thursday. Plesak versus Julio Tehran. That should be a win. Savali versus Scooble. That should be a win. Logan Allen, Jose Renia. That should be a win. This should be a four-game winning streak heading into the Monday matchup of Bieber versus Giolito which should be the game of the week if there was such a thing in baseball. I know the equivalent is the Sunday night baseball, but there should be something for a game, a pitching matchup like that on a Monday. But this should be a four-game win streak heading in. It really should be. There's there's not a good excuse for it not to be. Remember to uh, stick around, and we're going to talk about the best and worst fifth-round picks in team history here in a moment. You know how much of a lock tomorrow's game should be for a win? When you go over and look at our friends and sponsors bet online, they don't have the Indians game listed for Wednesday. They're not willing to take bets on Bieber versus Junis. They are like, that is not worth us on any level. They're not even putting it up. Uh, And you can go and find other fantastic lines, so many things. Looking at the side here, football, basketball, baseball, golf, hockey, martial arts, soccer, tennis, game props, player props, futures, other sports. Aussie rules, auto racing, boxing, cricket, cycling, darts, entertainment, financials, handball, horse racing, lottery, rugby league, even politics. So many things you can find over at Bet Online. And remember that if you do sign up for an account and you make your first deposit and you want to use that promo code locked on, it's going to get you a 50% bonus. That's right, 5050. Bet Online, one of our fantastic sponsors. Go check them out for yourself. They are our official lines maker for all things and while yes they do not have the indians listed tomorrow that is more something about you know in the past there might have been part of me that was like oh you know someone disrespected this isn't disrespect this is too much respect uh shane bieber versus jake junis is such a matchup favor that there there there's no point in betting on it that uh betting on it would just end up leading to issues so not even listing it Go find out other great information like that over at Bet Online today. And while I have you here, 
Locked on Fantasy Baseball. That's what we're talking about all week on here. If you're into fantasy, why are you not listening to that already? Go listen to it with Scott Cullen today. I did want to jump in here and uh, DB Sice asked me a few questions that I wanted to jump back to uh, from our mailbag yesterday. Uh, Well, first off, he talked about his ADHD kicking in. Hey, I got it too, so uh, I got to appreciate that. When he asked about Chang, he meant about Bowers, and he got distracted. I've done similar things in the past. Uh, So I believe, you know, the question was when it comes to the play at first base so far, um, how much of a real look is Bowers getting when he's only playing against lefties and that is such a small part of the platoon? I mean, he's not getting much of a look, to be honest. I don't know if they're going to increase it at some point or what's the deal, but yeah. Um, the other thing I got into today on Twitter was the whole idea, uh, which we talked about on the show yesterday, about the minority ownership that could be a bigger than 30% share. Uh, it was interesting, the number of people who thought that like finding an owner that would increase payroll and keep the team, in, well, whoever buys it's going to have to keep the team. Baseball teams don't really get moved. That's not really something that we see. And what was the last sports team that got moved in general? Like it, That's something that kind of slowed down. I know you have, I know everyone's screaming, it's the Raiders and it's the Chargers um, and football. But football has always been the mover. Like That is where we have seen teams move. Baseball team movement, I mean, is it Montreal to, to Florida? Or to Washington, I should say? Like that's, Florida was the expansion team, of course, uh, when the Expos moved, right? I mean, I can't think of anything in my lifetime beyond that with baseball. And that was such an odd situation because the Expos were, I mean, they were just a financial disaster for a long time in a stadium that was run down. Like That's one of those cases where you can't fault the move. They were in a, a very weird situation. It stinks, but that happens. Uh, but there was at least some degree of logic. So I don't really see that as an issue. And owning a sports team is a big deal. If you get to be an owner, it's a very small club. I think any owner who gets there is going to be competitive enough to want to win. I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue. So I did want to quickly address those two things today. Uh, Now let's talk some all-time draft. So the fifth round has, like most rounds, not been the most uh, pleasant for the Cleveland Indians. At least with some of the earlier rounds where we talked about there has been typically kind of a a star level talent fifth round it I, wow that was a big <laughs> breathe into the mic i'm gonna apologize now uh depending on your view of chris archer i mean he is far and away the highest value player the indians have selected and signed and i don't even have to add that caveat sign just selected 13.3 war for his career second highest war of any player was tim lawler drafted out of University of Arkansas in 1977. He didn't sign, uh, and he would play 124 games. The highest amount of games played is Ben Francisco in 2012, and by war, he is fifth all-time. Sixth and the second highest amount of games, Alan Embry, 
who was uh, out of Prairieville High School in Vancouver, Washington. Does everyone else remember the Alan Embry hype train? I just, you know, I grew up listening to uh, WTAM, and I remember, and it's one of those things that stuck with me, hearing Sindelar talk about uh, that there was a team that said they would give up, you know, any prospect or any hitter maybe on their team for Embry, that he was, uh, you know, he, he was a very hyped left-handed pitcher. And he had a long career. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like he was bad, but he didn't quite uh, match that hype level. But in my mind, I always think about the hype level that was tied to him coming up through the Indian system. And he would go on to pitch for pitch. I'm, I was just wanted to do a quick 10 teams. That's what I was looking at. How many teams did he play for? And it was 10 teams. Uh, you know, he was part of the Lofton trade to get Grissom and Justice. And sometimes it gets forgot about in that deal. But going back to some more, if you're like, well, then if those guys are five and six, who are the guys who had higher value? Zach Putnam. Uh, you may not remember. University of Michigan. It was a year before. 2008 was the last year that I went to others for draft information. After that, I kind of started doing my own thing with it. And that's not to say I didn't go and read from other places. I still like to go and have people that I read and trust and get information from. But that was the last year I I went in blind. I didn't know anything, and I wanted to read up. And I remember Putnam, he got, I think he's, if I'm using the tool here, I think he's the second highest signing bonus of any fifth-round pick in Indians history. And the only downside with Putnam is essentially that when they traded him off, that he didn't get that chance to rise to the system. And it was, they didn't get anything. Was that the Kubel? No, it was the Kevin Slowey deal. So there's an example of 2012, the Indians desperately digging for starters. Uh, trading away Zach Putnam for Kevin Slowey. Kevin Slowey would, uh, by the way, not pitch in the majors in 2012 would be an okay starter for uh, Miami in 2013. Not so good in 2014 and then out of baseball. Uh, But the Indians had nothing to show for giving away Putnam, who would then wouldn't find success in Colorado or with the Cubs, but the White Sox would uh, get three strong years out of him in 2014, 15, and 16. And number three, and number two in terms of actually signed, Ryan Drees. Uh, that is a name I had not thought about in a while. When you look at Drees, probably most known as like the centerpiece for the Travis Hafner deal. Uh, he, that first year in Cleveland, he was, he looked great. Uh, 376 FIP, did not miss bats though. Walk rate was, wasn't high, but it was at the higher end. It was only 36 innings, just four starts, really not enough of a sample size. Comes back in 2002 and is awful. Uh, There's no other way around it. Nothing is good about those 2002 stats for him in his 26 starts. And somehow the Indians got trade value out of him. I mean, that's it's mind-boggling to think about that, that there was trade value in a guy who had looked that poor that they would flip him with with Enar Diaz for Travis Hafner and Aaron Mayete. And that would turn into one of the more lopsided recent Indians trades. 
Still, 3.4 career war is enough to make him the second best player who the Indians signed in terms of war in the fifth round. I mean, that, that says enough there. Other guys to make it, Rod Nichols, Tom Kramer, Julian Merriweather, who has a chance to rise up this list. Uh, I'm a big believer in Merriweather. Bruce Egloff, Oscar Munez, Mike Macha didn't sign, Ed Farmer. Austin Adams was a was a good story. He was drafted as a shortstop, could throw really hard, got up to 99, 100, uh, very straight, and then couldn't, uh, wasn't a whole lot of secondary pitches, but kind of a surprise guy that it moved through. And then Tommy Smith, highest bonus, if you were curious, was Sean Brady. Uh, other players to watch from this who, who could eventually get to the big leagues. Steve Kwan has some believers. Uh, Kai Tom has not played enough yet, but he'll eventually... I mean, he's made it to the big leagues, just doesn't have a war accumulated. Uh, Connor Capel, who was part of that Mercado deal. Uh, and then Mason Hickman. I've talked about him from last year's class, where he is exactly an Indian's type of arm. He, he just ne- He's long and extremely effective in the SEC, but could never add velocity. If the Indians can work with him, and velocity seems to be the one thing that... A lot of teams are getting better at adding. Hickman could be the steal of their draft last year. So yeah, it's. I think when you look at this, the saddest part is most of Ryan Drees' value did not come with the Indians. Now, they got a great return on investment. Chris Archer was part of the Mark DeRosa deal, and then they tripped, nope, traded DeRosa for Jess Todd and Chris Perez, and then kind of petered out in terms of value there. Uh, Putnam, none of that value came in Cleveland. Ben Francisco was mostly in Cleveland. Alan Embry, Rod Nichols, these guys got, you know, their value in Cleveland. I'm sorry, Alan Embry is the most games. Uh, you know, sometimes I look at things wrong. Over 800 games in his career. So uh, Francisco is only at about 560. Yeah, it's it's a pretty steep drop-off. It's one of those rounds that maybe you hope that, uh, like I said, Hickman... Hunter Gaddis is a, is a strong prospect, but yeah, it's it's not good. Let's be honest. Like I said, the Sean Brady was an odd pick to me at the time. He just didn't progress through the system. Dylan Baker was really interesting. Couldn't stay healthy. Looking ahead to the sixth round, does it get any better? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no one who has as much value and a much shorter list. We don't have the time to dig into it today. We'll save this for the future, but at least there's two names kind of at the top. But what stands out again is both of those two names, to do <clears throat> do some foreshadowing, Most again, very little value for the Indians themselves. They did not get those guys made their careers outside of Cleveland. I mean, the highest value guy who had most of their games and success, Paul Rigdon. Uh, oh, I, n- I never talked about the worst pick, did I? It, that's always feels a bit mean to do. At least I'll say this. Seventh round, good round for the Cleveland Indians. A lot of players to talk about in the seventh round if you're trying to get on a, a positive note before I talk about this worst pick in team history. Uh, you know, there's always a lot of ways to kind of dig into this. So, But let's look at the player who basically progressed the least and wasn't someone drafted at the very beginning of the draft cycle where some guys got like a year and a half, and that was their only opportunities to play. The general rule is if you get the high A, 
you're not one of the worst picks in team history. If you play more than three seasons, you're not one of the worst picks in team history. And also eliminating those very early players. Like, uh, you know, I can sit here and look at Dick Davis, who only played, well, he made three seasons. But Michael Elwood, we have like, he pitched one inning. We don't know anything else about him except for he's a fifth round pick in 1969 out of West Bloomfield High School. So that, those make it harder. John Novak, who is uh, from Padua High School and Ohio University, just to throw out a local kid. So let's go to players who got real opportunities. Uh, I think as I was going through, the name that really kind of cemented itself is Scott Schultz. Now, he was a Virginia kid who went to Louisiana State, and by the time he graduated from Louisiana State, he was uh, the all-time wins leader. He was a 26th-round pick out of high school, a 47th-round pick as a junior, and a fifth-rounder by the Indians. He pitched one season, 95 in Watertown, low A, and that was it for him. 30 innings. That was his entire minor league career after being LSU's all-time win leader. Not to knock him, 5'10", right-hander. It's a hard situation. Actually, was born in Fairview, Ohio, before moving to Virginia. But when you're going through, you're finding that guy who had the smallest career and was the least successful pick, and I think it's the player who played one season. Uh, this isn't a case of someone where if there is a player who is a very high bonus who only lasted a year or two, typically I would give them the spot. There wasn't that case here. Uh, Sean Brady's still pitching and was effective in 2019 with Altoona. You, so Schultz is just more of a hard luck candidate. There wasn't a truly bad pick in this lot based on what I could see. Some quick looking. But uh, that is your fifth round. That is your show. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. The next year, maybe two. Go Tribe.